Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? For he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are what? More than conquerors through him who loved us. Jesus is the conqueror. And he makes us more than conquerors. Mm -hmm. How about uh, Revelation chapter 3? Verse 21. To him who overcomes, who's an overcomer, by the way? Who's more than a conqueror? Us, uh, you. There's a, there is a, a, a curve, if you will, between un- knowing, knowledge, understanding, and practice. And, you know, knowing it in your head and being in it positionally. It's a faith walk that we walk. We take what God says and we say, that's true about me. Agreeing with God. He says, we are more than conquerors. Whether we feel like it or not, we are. Now, verse 21, Revelation 3, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. I like this verse because it gives me a visual picture of me seated in the lap of Jesus as he is seated in the lap of the Father in those thrones. Can you see that with me? Who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Imagine yourself seated with Jesus on his throne. Your throne will probably look different than mine, but nonetheless, we're with him there. As I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. So now Jesus stands up and says, excuse me, we have to move. Let's go sit on the Father's throne. And he sits on the Father's throne. We sit with Jesus on the Father's throne. So it's this great, great picture of for me, of the Heavenly Father with Jesus on His lap and me on Jesus' lap. And the Father's wrapped His arms out around both of us. And I'm just sitting there like a spoiled kid <laughs> saying, who can get to me here? All right? Who can get to me here? Uh, Philippians. Chapter 2. This is unprepared for this morning but prepared recently and freshly by the Holy Spirit okay Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 therefore God has also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. These few simple verses for me are very helpful uh, this morning. But overall they're very helpful to remind us that Jesus is above all. He earned the right to be Lord. He laid down his life, took it up again, and that's why we call him Lord. He is master of the universe. He's been given full charge of everything until the last of his enemies, which the Bible says is death, is put under his feet. And at the moment, death is put under his feet. And he is over that then victorious as well. He will turn and give all of the kingdom to the Father. And everything will be back in order. Hallelujah. Uh, This is good news. That's why they call it the gospel, good news. And so, if every knee must bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Squirrel. Oh, sorry. Of course, if you're listening on the recording, that won't make sense at all. It's a slight distraction. Um, Then he gives us, let's take one more in Luke 10, verse 19, where Jesus says, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. 
Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. This verse comes on the heels of Luke chapter 9, where Jesus sends out the 12, and then in Luke chapter 10, uh, he sends out an additional 70, or some verses say 72, and they go out with the authority of Jesus' name. They heal the sick, they raise the dead, they cast out demons, and they come back to give an accounting report to the Master, because he sent them out. That's how accountability works. He sent them out, come back, give a report. They come back, give the report that even demons are subject to us in your name. This is thrilling stuff, Jesus. This is really very exciting. He says, well, I have given you authority, the authority, to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. How much is all? All. Yeah, all is all. Everything is everything. I think we're living below our means as, as believers in Jesus. We're, we're not really exercising some of these things. We'll talk a little bit more about it. But those, that section of verses, I mean, that's one of those things that you could take and just write a little list, put it in the back cover, and say, I need to remember these things. That the name of Jesus is above every other name. There's no other name given under heaven whereby men can be saved, only the name of Jesus. He is the overcomer, the conqueror. And in, as, he, as he conquers and as he overcomes, he grants to us to be more than conquerors with him. It's again, not my strength, not my ability, not my intellect, not my looks, not my birth, not my political status, not my geographic location. It's because Jesus rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of the Father and has the authority to say these things to us and enforce them. He didn't just say some things, but he also has the power and he sent the Holy Spirit to us to infill us and give us godly power. Acts 1.8, if you want to put that on the list, you know, after the, you know, it's, it's not for you to know when I'm coming back, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. So, he has empowered us by the infilling of the Holy Spirit to represent him. I like this word, represent. We usually say represent. But the idea is to represent Jesus in the earth. Each of us is a representation of Jesus. And we have the authority to do that. We're like ambassadors, the Bible says. You are Christ's fully clothed ambassadors. I just finished reading a book uh, that was written by a congressman, a former congressman, and uh, he was appointed as a UN ambassador to other nations. And I think here, this man, whether I knew him or not, was wearing American clothes and going to foreign countries and standing in those foreign countries, he represented me. He represented you. He represented our nation. He didn't go and immediately put their clothing on to fit into their culture. He went to stand out. He went to look different. He went to appear as an American in in a non-American territory or country. And he was very obvious, right? And their ambassadors to our country are very obvious. You go, wow, you see them dressed or driving by, you go, that's not one of us. Not of our culture, not of our nation, but they're an ambassador. And you and I go fully clothed in the authority of Jesus' name. We go fully empowered and endued upon. In fact, when, we're, when we receive the Holy Spirit, the scripture says we are clothed upon. We are, um, I'm looking for the word, I'm not getting it, but it, it's like putting on an overcoat over everything you are. You put on this overcoat, this draping over of the Holy Spirit, and you become an ambassador for Jesus. Everywhere you go. And you have authority in his name. And Jesus sent the 12 out, sent the 70 out, and said, go out and do these things in my name. I'm beginning to think that any problem you have this morning is smaller than the name of Jesus. Any issue you're facing, even though it may loom hugely on the horizon to you, it's smaller than Jesus. And the Jesus in you is bigger than the problem you face. And I'm not just trying to... Amen. Get to, get to the part where you say amen there. No. Uh-huh. So, uh, this is just kind of an exhortation this morning not to forget who you are in Christ. You're not any of those things outside of Christ. Right? All those things happen when you're in Christ and Christ is... In you. What an interesting 
thing that is. I remember this message. I preached it to myself. You may have been here. <laughs> I'm trying to get Christ in me, the hope of glory. And the whole time that's happening, I'm trying to get into Christ. <laughs> this, this thing that's happening, it's, it's the dynamic of God. So, there you go. That's a freebie. That may be better than the message. Let's find out. Matthew. Gospel of Matthew. Speak the name of Jesus, by the way. Let the name of Jesus be on your lips. The way it gets onto your lips is for it to be in your heart. The Bible says, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. So if you get the name of Jesus on your lips, your heart's going to be filled with Jesus. Right? That's what's coming out. And it's a different kind of saying the name of Jesus than when somebody drops a rock on their toe. You know, and they go, you hear that a lot. No, you put Jesus here first and then it just comes out. Jesus. Jesus. Your problem comes to your house knocking on the door and you open the door and say, oh, Jesus. Jesus to you. I'm going to speak Jesus to my problem. My problem needs Jesus. Because I found Jesus to be bigger than me and he's bigger than my problem. So problem, have some Jesus. <laughs> Why not bring that thing under the knee? You know, bow its knee to Christ, right? we got some big problems. Anybody got some big problems? I mean, come on, only two of us have big problems. The rest of you, the rest of you have a little problem. How many got a little problems? How many have zero problems? <laughs> I like that guy that said, how many have this? People raise it. How many have that? Raise it. How many... How many didn't raise your hand? That's a great question too. Okay. Speak the name of Jesus. Let him be on our lips. Let him be in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'll break this revelation to us today. I'm asking for it myself. But Lord, I would stand on behalf of my friends and praise, praise you and thank you that you are exalted above every other. And your name is higher. And your power is complete. Your authority is total. Break the revelation to us and we face the issues of our lives. And when we accompany others or we're with others who are facing big issues, speak into us how to speak your name. How to pray your name onto the situation. How to invite the authority that you've given us to be actuated in that moment so that problems, issues, healings, demonic, all bow the knee to Jesus. Amen. Amen. What I, what I, this is what I'm going to try and do today. I have a two-page PowerPoint. I'm so good at this. There's the first page. You can't really see it. The longest uninterrupted passages of Jesus' teachings in the Gospel of Matthew. We're just going to focus on the Gospel of Matthew this morning briefly. And the second part of the slide says red letters, if you please. If you have a red letter Bible, how many of you have a red letter Bible? You know what that is. If you have one, if you don't have one, it means that all of the passages spoken by the Lord Jesus are recorded with red. Many of you have seen that. Some of you don't have that. This particular Bible has that. Does yours have that? So what you'll find today, uh, other than for ours to have these huge chunks of stuff inside of it, if all you had was a Bible with no, uh, no other notes, these would be full pages of red letters. And I'm focusing on the five longest uninterrupted passages of the teachings of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. It occurred to me, and that's why, that's why I put red letters, please, uh, if you please. Some of you might uh, remember uh, Larry, and I'm not remembering his last name, isn't that crazy? I'm looking at Church on the Rock. Anybody know Church on the Rock down in Texas? Larry Lee, thank you, thank you. Two L's. Larry Lee. He said that he had, when he had been put in charge of a youth group at a, at a church, and he had just become a youth pastor, he, they had like 500 kids in this youth group. 
And uh, they had to meet in weird places like bowling alleys and wherever they could get a place. And so you remember going to this group the first few times and saying to them, here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to read the red and we're going to pray for the power. We're going to read the red and pray for the power. He said the youth group went from 500 to 50 in a week. Because they wanted to play games and do stuff and hang out. And, you know, it was the whole youth thing had been built on that kind of a, of a, of a mode. And uh, Larry had a different idea. He said, well, we're going to read the red. We're going to li- live by what Jesus said. And we're going to pray for him to fill us with his power. And, of course, after the youth group went from 500 to 50, then things changed a little bit over time. And eventually, Larry Lee became pastor of Church on the Rock in Rockwall, Texas, which built a sanctuary that could seat more people than lived in the city. Because people were driving in from all around the surrounding cities. They established it as a house of prayer. And prayer was the center focus of what the church did. And they had 24-hour prayer going and people driving in. And they, had, they never had a traffic jam in their city until this church came to town. And then they actually put in a traffic signal. And on Sundays they had to have the police department come out and direct traffic uh, through the little town. And a lot of the townspeople were upset because our little town just got run over by this church. But the point of it being for me this morning is that the idea was simple. Let's just read the red and let's pray for the power. Let's follow the teachings of Jesus as closely as we can. Let's be disciples of Christ. And it occurred to me, well, if I'm going to follow Jesus, then I ought to know what he said. I'm not sure I could memorize all of it. I'm not sure I could you know, bring it all to recall right on the spot. But when I look at the Gospel of Matthew, I, I wrote this down. I keep a little note in my Bible that says these are the five longest uninterrupted passages with Jesus teaching. And so let's, let's, as you're turning the pages, you'll see that. I'm not going to try and teach this because there are 339 verses in what we're talking about this morning in just these five passages. The first one is Matthew chapter 5. And, and there's a slide. I'll just let Ed put the slide up there. And you'll have all the references that, that I'm going to look at today. And we'll just leave that up there. Is that all right? Total of 320, did I say 39? Somebody might do the math and find out if I got the number right. Uh, There's the reference on the left, the number of verses in the passage, the topic, the content, and the purpose. And that's just what I want to go over this morning simply. Is that all right? I don't think I can improve on the teachings of Jesus. (laughs) I can't do it better than he did. So if we'll read it, I'm sure we'll do better than if I teach it. But I do want to point some things out along the way. And for those of you who are in our lighthouses, uh, lighthouse keepers, uh, we'll have this little chart. You could print it a number of times and hand it out if you want. It's, it's, uh, anybody can figure it out. But uh, I did put it together. I didn't steal it out of some book or whatever. I actually did this myself. Okay, so you'll know that. Uh, it's not a statement of pride. It's actually a statement of amazement. <laughs> The first passage, we know it as the Sermon on the Mount. 107 verses uh, from Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And if you have it in your Bible and you're looking at that, and and then you begin to turn pages, you'll see that all the way through the 7th chapter, we have Jesus teaching. And it starts out in chapter 5, verse 1, where it says, Seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. I've copied this actually onto, I went in because I have this, thank you, I have these Bible programs that, you know, you open up and I can just copy it and paste this stuff. So I took all these verses and pasted them in. There's like 13 pages of Jesus' teachings. All, when you bunch them up, 12 or 13 pages. I used the New Living Translation. It says, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. May I insert a view? Uh, Many of you have told me it's helpful when I give you these pictures that come to my mind. Um, And so I'm I'm glad for that. Here's the picture I see. Jesus is looking at this mass of people that are getting together. That's a large group. And uh, he gathers, he goes up on the mountain, sits down. We're not talking about, he's got a Shure microphone and and, um, PV speakers, and he doesn't have any of this, right? 
But on the front row, he gathers his 12. So you've got small group ministry going, and you've got large group ministry going at the same time. Jesus demonstrated for us, and he modeled for us how to reach people with his good news. And I think this is worth seeing in a simple verse, that Jesus had his 12, and he had the crowd. We call it cell and celebration. Small group, large group. It's two wings of the same church. We've said before that if you've got the small wing, the small group working in the church, that brings life and application and fellowship and community. And the large wing is the celebration when the cells gather and get together. If you get both wings going, it'll fly. But what the church has done for years is either dropped one or the other, and it's just been kind of flying in circles, (laughs) flapping away. So here Jesus begins this huge passage, 107 verses, teaching. And we know the the Beatitudes are this first section, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And I like to summarize this as others have, that the Beatitudes are the attitudes that ought to be. It's real simple. The Beatitudes are the attitudes that ought to be. When you get to verse 13, you find him saying to us, you're the salt of the earth. 14, you're the light of the world. In 16, he says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise you. Anybody read it different than mine? Thank you. So everybody will praise your heavenly Father. It's not about us. It's about him. But he makes us the salt. He makes us the light. He's injecting into us a personhood of his life in us. He goes on teaching about the law. He teaches about anger and how to deal with anger. He teaches about adultery and, and divorce. Uh, teaches about keeping your vows and, and what to do in the case of revenge. Uh, and ends by talking about loving your enemies in chapter 5. When we move into chapter 6, well, at the end of chapter 5, he says this. After teaching these things, he says, You are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. He's, he's, he's raising the bar. He's giving teachings and raising the standard. Chapter 6. When you give, verse 2. When you give. I like it because he says when you give, not if you give. It's when you give. We're to be a giving people. We're open-handed people. We, we give. We help the poor. We tithe. We have offerings. We send missions. There's a lot of things we do with our finances, but we're open-handed. We're givers. Jesus doesn't say if you give. He says when you give. This is how to do it. Verse 5, when you pray, this is what you do. And he starts out by saying, don't be like the hypocrites. Verse 16, when you fast, these three things are pillars for us. Giving, praying, fasting. These are attitudes and activities of believers in Jesus. He goes on to teach more about finances in verse 19. And reminds us in verse 21 that where your treasure is, the desires of your heart will be also. It's a corrective teaching. It's an instructive moment. So don't get too caught up in the things of the world. Don't chase the bucks as much as you chase me. Verse 22 he reminds us, he says, your eye is the lamp of your body. Verse 23, when you, if your eye is bad, your whole body is going to be filled with darkness. And if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how great that darkness will be. You're fooling yourself. Keep your eye pure. Keep your eye single. Keep your eye, as the Bible says, good. In good shape. Filled with the right kinds of things. And then he says, don't worry. Don't worry. He said, tomorrow's coming and it's got enough worries of its own when it gets here. Think about today. Don't be too concerned about your clothing, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. Can I ask a simple question? This is an honest one. How many of you say you're worried about something just the last couple of days? Yeah. Now, maybe we could hedge it a bit. We could say, we were just highly concerned. <laughs> I was highly concerned about a couple of things. Worrying, it takes it to another level. Actually, it's a lower level. But it does move it deeper. Because worry is this unfortunate cycle of thinking with no productivity involved. I think it's bad, 
and then it gets worse. And then at that point, I think about it again, it gets worse than that. And worry tends to cycle down and just get worse and worse and worse. And sometimes you just need to park it, step up and walk away and say, I'm not going to worry about it. Jesus said by worrying, you can't even, you can't change your height, your stature. I'm not sure about the part where he says you can't change the color of your hair. Right? Because if that, that's the case, then I'm, I just happen to be worrying out on the tips. Don't worry about... Yeah, some of you don't have to worry at all. But, but he's saying... Seek the kingdom of God first. Here's the solution to worry. Seek the kingdom of God first. The rest gets added on. Get your train in right order. Quit putting worry and concern of your own and all your big activities out in front as the engine. Get it at the back. Put the kingdom of God first. Seek Him. Seek His kingdom. Seek the application of the teachings of Jesus into your life. The other things will get added on as you go. Now, it sounds simple. And it is simple. But I wouldn't say that it's easy. It is very simple. It's not complex. Jesus made this available to everybody. Even I can get it. But it's not always easy to practice. But that's our goal, is to practice being like Christ. Chapter 7 in this Sermon on the Mount, which is a long passage, don't judge others. You know, the whole speck in your eye and the, you know, the log in your eye and the speck in your brother's eye problem. And then he goes on to teach about effective prayer. The golden rule, do unto others. You want them to do unto you. Can you imagine if the whole world decided all at once today that today we're we're changing and tomorrow we're going to practice this one thing? Everybody in the world. Would this be a pleasant planet? Man, oh man, things would change so radically if we began to think of others first and how I'm only going to do what I want done to me. Wow. The, the teachings of Jesus are revolutionary. They will absolutely revolutionize our lives and our cultures. The narrow gate, the tree and its fruit. Uh, again, I'm not trying to reteach these passages, just pointing out that Jesus uh, is, is going somewhere in this long passage. And I've tried to make it simple so I could wrap my hands around it and get my, my heart to it. Uh, in verse 20 of, of this last chapter 7, it says, Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. We're supposed to be fruit inspectors to a degree. Not judging. Not judging others. Just fruit inspectors. You can tell a person's life by their actions. They may say one thing, but if they're doing something else, that's the reality. This is the problem we have in politics, right? Because the politicians tell us things and do others. This is the problem that they had in the Bible. It's nothing new. Uh, We'll get to the Pharisees in a moment. (laughs) Because they said and did other things. What they said was true, but they just didn't practice it. Jesus says, practice it. Let your righteousness exceed theirs. True discipleship, building on a solid foundation. And I find that in this first passage in the line on the wall behind me, there are 107 verses in the Sermon on the Mount. Talk to us specifically about how to live. How to live. You want to know how to live? Read the Sermon on the Mount and practice it. You could spend the rest of your life doing that one thing. And it would never hurt you. Never. It would always help you. What's the purpose I've listed? For this section, Jesus is talking about character. The who, the who of you. Who you are when you're by yourself. The who that's with you when no one else is around. That's your character. Someone has said, and I, I kind of like this picture, it's probably a better one, but character is like the tree. The shadow is the reputation. Your, your life will cast a shadow and others may interpret you and give you a reputation. So at times we may have a reputation we don't deserve, whether good or bad. But character is the real thing. It's the tree of your life. 
It's who you are when you're by yourself, just you and God. It's that moment this morning that I felt specifically prophetic for some, even though I didn't jump up and down and prophesy real loud, do any of that. I felt that Jesus was standing among us, literally with his hand pointing to the inner man, to our heart, saying, will you let me in there? And it wasn't like we were resisting and saying, oh no, I'm hiding. <laughs> let me get behind somebody else. Get, do, that wasn't the issue. He, he could freely stand in front of each one of us and say, you know, I really love you and I want to be in here. I want to be in here bigger than I am. I want to do some inspection in here for you. I want to work with you and your heart. The question is, he's a gentleman. He's not going to plow his way in there. He's just going to stand out and point and say, can I come in here? And we had the opportunity to say, come on in, Jesus, come in. It's not a first time come in. It's just that gentlemanly lordship of Christ saying, I want to come in and do some more. Can we work together again today and this week? And I thought, wow, let's open the door. Jesus, come in. It's about character. The who of your life. The real you. The one that's all by himself or all by herself in front of God. And I know sometimes you and I don't like that person much. We see it's his failures or her failures. We see our shortcomings. And we, are, we would summarily reject us at times and say, oh, I'm just not worthy. I'm of no value. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus said, I'm an overcomer. I'm making you more than a conqueror. You and me, let's, we can do this. I'm, I'm not just on your team. I'm in your team. I am your team. <laughs> we can do this. And I'm going to help. I want to yield over the strength and the victory of my life and my winning at Calvary and my burial, my resurrection. It's all available to you. I'm not looking to reject you. I'm looking to embrace you. But I need your character. See, the goal, Paul said in Romans, is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. That's God's desire that Jesus in us comes up through us like the sap in that tree. And as it's growing out, it looks like Him. It forms us from the inside. There's another passage that says, don't be conformed to this world, right? Don't be patching ourselves around the outside of the structures of the world trying to look like it. Let the structure of Jesus come up from within and be conformed to His image. In fact, the Bible bears this out, if you study it, that there's both issues of confirmation to Christ. One is that it's inside and it shapes us from the inside. The other is that I need enough of Jesus to put on the outside of me too. To kind of, you know, I'm the statue and he's the overlay. And he's going to pound and tap until the overlay makes me look just like him. Wow. What an honor. What a privilege. So this is about character, the Sermon on the Mount, who you are. And how you should live. The second passage is chapter 10, verses 5 through 42, 38 verses. This is the sending out of the 12 apostles. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions don't go here and do this, only go here and do this. Uh, verse 7 Go and announce to them the kingdom of heaven is near. Look at verse 8 Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure the leper. Cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Verse 11, whenever you enter a city, do like this. Verse 12, when you enter the home that accepts you inside the city, then do this. Verse 24, students are not greater than their teacher. Verse 25, students are to be like their teacher. This is what I want you to do. And you'll see that I've put on this chart simply that this passage of the sending of the twelve, he's initially sending his first group and saying, this is when you go and when I send you, this is what I want you to do. Oftentimes we're concerned about what does God want me to do. If, especially if you're a male. Come on, guys, we want to know what to do. We're built for it. You know, when the, you're driving along and the lights come on in the dash and the smoke rolls out from under the hood, we pull right over, don't we? Sort of. Anyway, if we have to, we will. Maybe not right away, but I think we go a little farther maybe. But anyway, when it finally does something happen, we pull over and we throw the hood open and we're looking in there. And what are we looking for? We're looking for something to do. We don't know what's wrong, but if there's something hanging or whatever, we're going to go after it. We're going to do something. 
Wives, isn't this the biggest problem when you get to your husband, you start telling him your heart, you open up your, your spirit to him, you want to share your problem with him, and all he can look at you and say, well, tell, just tell me what to do. And you don't want him to do anything, you just want him to care. Right, ladies, is this correct? <clears throat> I've learned this. Yeah, I'm, trying, I'm still working on it, thank you. Um, I do. I, there are days when I have to stand there and go, don't do anything. Don't Inside. Going, don't do anything. Don't try and fix it. She doesn't want me to fix it. She does not want me to fix it. She just wants me to listen. Listen. Focus. 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 And I'm saying that so much to myself, I may not even be hearing what she's saying. <laughs> but I am attentive. But I find that this passage is very specific. Jesus is saying... I, this is about your character. Now that I've discipled you boys, now I'm going to send you out in my name. As I do, let me instruct you, this is what I want you to do. There are some do's in the Bible. I like them better than the do's and don'ts list. You know, the competitive thing. Do this, don't do this. Do, I'm not into fixing those lists. I think the grace of God is on my life to a point and on your life to a point where he says, these are things I want you to do. I want you to operate in these things. I want you to really make progress in this and I'm going to help you do it. Could we fix that? (laughs) I'd love to pick pick it up and help it. But there goes one. There you go. They they need help. They've got her outnumbered. There you go. There you go. Yeah, wake wake up, Dad. Come on, help us out here. There's one for each. Okay, thank you. It would have been a great place to pause that recording, I'm sure. Oh, they're happy now. Hey, you know what? And so am I. Thanks. It's just a, I'm a dad. You know, I'm distracted by that. I want to go do it. I want something to do uh, to fix it. Thank you for the illustration. Appreciate it. We'll tie that together. Whew. Okay, now I can relax. Whew. That's good. The grandparent was coming alive. What to do represents for us our responsibility and our also need to understand our authority. We talked about Luke ten nineteen. I give you all authority. That's a beautiful passage. It's an old illustration of mine. And if you've been here any length of time, you could stand up and do it for me. But the word exousia, when Jesus says, I give you all authority, is different than the word power, dunamis. Acts 1.8, you shall receive dunamis, dynamic power from the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you. But in Luke 10.19, he says, I don't give you dunamis power, explosive, dynamite-laden power. I'm giving you exousia, which is the word authority. And for me, it's illustrated simply this way, that if I put this, if this... My little uh, thing here was a badge instead of this little, um, whatever this is called, button. Um, and it was a badge, and, and I had a little hat and the uniform said California Highway Patrol. And I stepped out onto the highway in front of the church here and put my hand up. I could stop at 18-wheeler. I could stop multiple tons of equipment. No problem. Just hold up my hand, right? Why? Because this represents authority. This is exousia. If I mess, if somebody wants to mess with the badge, they've got to go mess with the whole state. And if the state can't back it up, then the federal government will back it up. The whole nation stands behind the little badge that's highly valuable. Exousia. We grant individuals exousia, and then they exercise that authority for our benefit. Jesus says to you, I give you exousia. I'm giving you the badge of authority of my name. You may not be stronger than the devil. You may not be more powerful than the person who lives next door to you on your block. You may not be, and days, moms, any stronger than your two-year-old. Okay? But you have authority. It's not about power or strength. It's about authority. And when Jesus sent his 12 out, he said, I'm giving you authority. With the authority comes responsibility. You can't have one without the other. Many of us work in occupations or leadership or have been in the past. You know that once you're given the responsibility, you also must be given the authority to exercise to make it work. And if you don't get the authority, you can't carry the responsibility well. It's not possible. So when Jesus says, you have this responsibility, these are the things I want you to do. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure the leper, cast out demons. Do these things in my name. 
I give you the responsibility, and I'm telling you this is what I want you to do. Here's your authority. You can do it with my authority. They came back saying, the demons are subject to us in your name. In your exousia, they bow the knee. And Jesus perfectly, of course, he's the master teacher, responds and says, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Don't get over excited about that. Be excited that your names are written down in heaven. That we're a family. And that I'm the leader of it. Amen? So then we get to, so there's the second passage. Sending the twelve, what to do. That is our responsibility and our authority. And I would submit to us that we're living in a different time where these things are not active, as active in the church, the body of Christ, especially in the West, as it should be. Okay? And we, I appreciate you shaking your head yeses all around, saying, yes, this is true. And we do it kind of a, we don't really do the repeated nod. We kind of just give it the one nod, which means, oh, that's so true and it's so, ooh. Huh? We're not happy about it. I want to come back to my faith as a child. Where you just believe. And things happen. You need to get rid of the complexity of religion and know Jesus. Oh, I'm thinking of stories of... Most recently, though, I'll use the most recent, when Jessica was telling me she got up and she was not feeling well. And her little ones knew that. And so Josiah goes and sits on the couch, says, gestures, pats the couch next to him, says, Mom, come sit here. Well, why? What do you need? You know, I don't feel good, Josiah. What do you want? She said, I'm going to pray for you to feel better. Now, that's close to home for me, of course. But And you're warmed by it, I can tell. The truth of it is we shouldn't just be emotionally warmed by it. We go, that's truth. That's faith as a child. It's like... Has got a problem? Let's speak Jesus to it. Was oh, that? Is that all? <laughs> Let's ask Jesus to take care of that. I told the story before when I, right after I got saved here at Big Bear, I took a vacation and went to Illinois, where I was from, and my friends there, whom I knew when I left, knew me. Then I came out here, got saved, went back the next year, and they summarily rejected me. And I wanted to tell them all about Jesus. I was so excited. My friends were going to tell them about Jesus, and they all left me. I had 30 days in Springfield, Illinois, with nobody to hang out with. And now that I found a hospital just down the street from uh, where I was staying, and so I went and visited kids in the peds department. I just walked in. They let me go, walk around, talk to all the kids. And I prayed for all of them. And at the end of a week, I went back. Nobody was there. And I said to the nurse, I said, where's all the kids? I came to visit all the kids. They they all went home. Some just got healed. And I thought, is that possible? (laughs) That... Me and Jesus were doing this together. I, I was so new to all of it that I thought, well, it's what you're supposed to do. Pray for the sick. I didn't expect them to go home. <laughs> but they went. And it was exciting. And uh, I remember one specific, one girl was a pastor's daughter. She remember her telling me that. And I said, I remember praying for her. And she went home. Never to this day do I know any of those kids, but that's okay. Jesus touched them. Knowledge, or excuse me, responsibility and authority. The third passage I need to move right along here for you. 13, 3 through 52, 49 verses. Jesus teaches a number of parables. And the content of these parables is to discuss the kingdom of God. The purpose, I find, is that we gain knowledge and understanding, especially of the kingdom of God. You find in verse 12, chapter 13, verse 12 says, To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. I'm just looking for a kind of a key verse to lift out and talk about this. That these parables, a multitude of parables really here, the parable of wheat and weeds, the mustard seed, the yeast. Um, He then explains some of these parables to his disciples. Uh, the fishing net, all of these teachings of Jesus by parable. And I think, uh, you know, the question is asked, why do you always teach with parables, Jesus? And, And the scriptures tell us that Jesus never taught without using a parable when he taught the crowds. 
And sometimes the disciples, and you and I don't get it, and, but the beauty of that is they would catch him in the small group meeting, right, in the cell, if you will, in the small group meeting. They said, Jesus, would you explain that to us? He said, sure, boys, I'll tell you all about it. And why do you always teach the crowds with those parables? He said, well, because Isaiah said that hearing they wouldn't hear and seeing they wouldn't see, and so I just teach them these parables, and they really don't get it. But you have been given the ability to understand. You're going to gain knowledge and understanding from these parables about the kingdom of God. And what we're dealing with even today still is the kingdom of God is among us. The kingdom of God is here with us. The kingdom of God reigns over our hearts and over the hearts of others. And so we need to understand the kingdom of God. Jesus gives this passage, this long teaching, on the passage of the parables to discuss with us the kingdom of God so that we know what we're doing and we understand what some of this is about. And that's, that's that passage. The next one is chapter 23, verses 1 to 39. 39 verses in this uninterrupted teaching of Jesus. And I call this the seven woes because seven times he says to the Pharisees um, in the King James Version, woe to you, right? This new international says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you are hypocrites. For you shut the door to the kingdom of heaven, this is in verse 13, in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves, and you don't let others enter either. Jesus' accusation of the Pharisees is, is huge. And what we can learn from this passage, these seven woes, or these warnings that come from Jesus against the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, is in verse Uh, Five actually, he says this, everything they do is for show in this version. Everything they do is for show. They want to pray in public. They want the greatest seats at the banquets. They won't do what they're teaching you to do. They just want to be seen doing what they do. And he's telling us, don't be like them. Tells us in verse 11 of chapter 23, the greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Would that be called a dichotomy? He warns them. He he woes them. He warns them. He tells them of the impending sorrow that awaits them from the way they're living. And what I get out of this is that the, the fix is humility. The fix, the thing that helps me when I'm warned of these dangers is to become a humble person. Humble yourself. James, Peter, reverberate these teachings. Say, you know, if you humble yourself, you won't have to be humbled. If you choose to do it yourself and learn to serve others and lower yourself, think of others more highly than you should. Again, we're learning about character development and how we should live and how we should operate. And if we do it ourselves, then Jesus says he'll exalt us. And I, I, you know, I have a pen that says humility and how I attained it. Yeah, sorry. But I have, and you I hope have been through this process as well. There are times when you do humble yourself, you serve others. And then somebody wants to come along and flatter you for it or pick you up and say nice things. Maybe you organize a banquet for a bunch of people you serve and you're just behind the scenes and you got stuff all over you and you know, you're happy that they like the food you made and the tablecloths. You got it all just right. And you're done and you're in the kitchen, you're wiping your brow and somebody comes and grabs you by the arm and says, come out here, we want to say how much we appreciate you in front of you know, these 500 people. And you go, no, I'm the servant of all. I don't need to be out there, but they bring you out and you want to say, don't steal my thunder. You know, don't take away my blessing. I don't need to be seen in public to be rewarded for what I'm doing in private. But the Pharisees did everything in public and their reward was wiped right there. Jesus said, if you do, even in the, uh, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, if you do your prayers in front of people and you give in front of people and you do your fasting in front of people, that's all the reward you'll get is whatever they say to you. Say, look at me, look how tired I am. I'm fasting now for a whole half a day. I haven't eaten breakfast. I'm fasting. I just got out the door late. But you look terrible and somebody goes, oh, poor you. That's your reward. That's it. That's all you get right there. Oh, poor you. It's not much good. But if you, Jesus said, if you deck yourself out and look good and 
draw your soul out to the hungry at the same time and your fasting is unto God. He says, I'll come in and make your soul like a watered garden. Your word comes from heaven. So the warnings, these dangers that we see in this long passage of Jesus tells us that the fix really is humility. Learning how to be humble. Humbling ourselves, lowering ourselves, serving others. Being like John the Baptist. He must increase, I must decrease. I'm not even worthy to unlatch his his sandals. Having a true view of ourselves. That without Christ, we're nothing. And, And in Christ, we still should be humble people. The last passage, 96 verses, chapter 24, verse 2 through 25, 46. This we talked about last week even. Jesus was leaving the temple grounds. His disciples pointed out the various temple buildings. He responded, you see all these. I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. What sign will signal, or excuse me, none will, not one stone will be left on another. And at the end of verse 3, the question is asked, what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus begins by telling them about wars, threats of wars, rumors of wars. All these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Verse 8, all of this is only the first of birth pains. Verse 14, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Verse 30, he alludes, and then at last the sign of the Son of Man is coming. Um, The sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens. Verse 37, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in, the, in Noah's days. Verse 42, so you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. More parables of the kingdom. The kingdom of chapter 25 of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids. And we know that five were ready and five weren't. Five had extra oil, five did not. Verse 13, so you too must keep watch. Another parable of the kingdom of heaven in verse 14 of chapter 25. As it can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip, he called his servants together and trusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two to another, one bag of silver to the last. Listen to this, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. We have responsibilities, we have authority, and they're individualized to us. God knows what we're capable of doing, capable of doing, and He divides to us what we can do. God doesn't seem to ask us to do things we cannot do. In fact, the Bible teaches us that when we come to a test in the New Testament, whenever we're tested or tried, you find these words, proven, uh, God only brings you to the test when He knows you can pass. That's inferred in the Scriptures. He never brings us to test that will fail us. How often have we failed? Well, we can count those. We'd have to take off our shoes to count, right? Because it's well over 20 times we've failed. But God knew we could pass. Somewhere in there, character flaw, uh, um, bad attitude, an activity of some kind, and we tripped and we failed. And, and God didn't just wipe his hands up and say, well, I gave you the test. You should have passed, but you didn't, so that's it. Never again. He comes over, he picks us up, dusts us off, pours into us his life, brings us his forgiveness, and says, Let's, we're going to try that one again. Soon. Let's get you repaired, and then we'll try that one again, because I know you can pass that test. He's a great coach. He puts the bar back up and says, you know, you jumped, your jump was just a little off, but I know you can clear that bar. And I want to work with you until I demonstrate there's enough of me in you for you to make it, and then you can rejoice in me, not yourself. But it's his, his gives us things in proportion to what we can handle. But he does expect something to happen. In verse 20, at the end of the verse, the, the one with five bags comes and says, Pastor, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. I see this also as applies to discipleship. When God gives us, each one of us should be, whatever we're given, be making another one. And if, someone, if we're a disciple, we should be making another disciple. We should be coming to the Lord with some results. And finally, in this long passage of 96 verses that talks about the end times and Jesus coming back, what will happen in the last days, and the parables about final things, I believe what's being told to us is that we need to be prepared. We need to be active in our service. 
And we need to understand there's a reward involved. There is a reward. And toward the end, in verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, verse 33, He will place the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left. And then He'll say to those on His right, Come you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. We are going somewhere. We are going to obtain some things. There is a reward for this life and its efforts. And Jesus in this long passage teaches this is what will happen toward the end days. This will happen in the final things. When things are starting to wrap up, you'll see these things occur. While you're seeing these things occur, you be busy about service in the kingdom and, and occupying, expanding the kingdom with me. Let me remind you that I've given you talents and, and abilities and discipleship-making possibilities. I want you to continue to multiply yourself as I'm coming back. And when I come back, you need to know there's a reward involved. This isn't all about just you working your little fingers to the bones for no reason. I have prepared a place for you. He tells us in John chapter 14, I'm going away, I'm going to prepare a place for you. When I get it done, I'll come back and get you, and you're going to be with me there forever. There's a reward at the end of this thing. Amen? And we should be looking forward to it. I know I've told this story before, but it's kind of funny about the husband and wife that died at the same time, and they both, you know, they got to heaven, and they were being shown around, and... The guy's eyes were just bugging out, and you know, he's. They took him in his house. And said, Look, we just want to show you. They opened the sliders. There's a golf course right outside the back door. The guy loves to golf. He's wearing his little golf hat right there. He's going. This is mine. I can golf. You can golf anytime you want. And if you get hungry, you step over here. And they walk in the kitchen. There's tables loaded with everything they love. Beautiful home. In the middle of the tour, the guy grabs his hat, throws it on the floor, kicks it across the room, and he's so mad. His wife says, "Honey, what's wrong?" He said, if you hadn't fed me all those health foods, I could have been here 10 years ago. <laughs> you know, it's a little easier to look at it from the other side. You know, say, this is going to be pleasant. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be heaven. And I don't know if there's golf courses involved. We extrapolate all these things and make it funny. But whatever it is, it's got to be better than here. <laughs> Amen. This isn't always bad. It's just not that good. It's not as good as heaven. And Jesus said there is a reward. So when I look at this, I see something I can wrap my hands around. I see something I can move on. Guys, I can answer the question, what does Jesus want me to do? How am I supposed to live? What's my character supposed to look like? What is my responsibility and authority? What should I be gaining additional knowledge and understanding about? And I can get that by reading the teachings of Jesus and praying for the Holy Spirit to enlighten and give me revelation. I should always be crafting humility in my life. You know, Moses was a humble person, but he was a great leader, right? Paul knew how to be a humble man. In all circumstances, he would say, I've lived in every circumstance you can imagine. I've had good, I've had bad, doesn't matter. I've got Jesus. And I know who I am in respect to him. I'm nothing. John the Baptist, I'm nothing. I must decrease, he must increase. Humility doesn't mean you're weak. It just means you have a good view of who you are. And that humility can still become powerful leadership. And as we enter these end times, as we really believe we're living in them, we should be prepared. Preparedness, service to others, and looking for the reward. There you have it. It's the best I can do today. Two messages in one, well over time. Kid Zone's ready to lynch me, and we are out of here. Let's pray. Ooh, pardon me. That was not helpful. Father, we love your word. Jesus, we love your teachings. And we pray that you'll help us really get a hold of them. Thank you for Matthew and his work. Thank you for his faithfulness and discipleship to you and his ability to pen these words under the power of the Holy Spirit that we might find life in them. Lord Jesus, we pray that you will continue to work in us your own life, that you will continue to have access to our heart, teach us how to live, teach us what to do, give us revelation on your kingdom. Remind us to be humble people in these last days. Teach us to be productive and to make disciples that make disciples to live in community with you and with others so that we can stay strong 
in this season of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.